0: It is possible to treat people with respect even if they all come from different backgrounds, right? Without knowing their language or knowing their cultural practices, you can still treat people with dignity. And I think that's really what it comes down to is not taking away a person's dignity in any moment that they're receiving care.
1: Integrating cultural safety within all health services, is just so incredibly important for reducing many of the health inequities that Indigenous peoples experience
2: some community members in from the ground zero get their perspective and keep them engaged and ask what they want up until completion of said project i believe that's more of having that meaningful participation which is i think a big chunk of cultural safety
3: hello and welcome back to interior voices an interior health podcast series where we explore the intersection of health and culture in the workplace our everyday lives and patient care. I'm Beth Blue, communication support for Aboriginal Health. In Episode 6, Sheila and Chris meet with members of the newly formed IH cultural safety team and discuss what cultural safety means to them.
4: So grateful to have this opportunity to share time with you guys. This is Sheila Lewis, Aboriginal Mental Wellness Practice Team with Interior Health. So I am going to ask you guys shortly, not only to introduce yourselves and your roles, also if you could offer for our listeners also the way that you would do a land acknowledgement. And then we would like to capture also a Métis acknowledgement if you're feeling comfortable with that. With that, I'm going to ask
0: the team to introduce themselves. My name is Jade chiboy Condra. I'm from Saskatchewan, Saskatchewan. And when I typically start my education sessions, I will always start with a land acknowledgement by saying that we are on the traditional and unceded territory of the I guess for today, we're in the Silk Nation.
4: Excellent. Thank you very much, Jade. And would you be comfortable offering a Métis acknowledgement?
0: Um, Sometimes, not all the time. Sometimes I forget, but I mentioned that I'm a Métis woman from Saskatchewan and I recognize and I acknowledge myself as a a guest, but I'm not sure if that's what you're looking for. (laughs) Like, I don't know what a Métis acknowledgement is. Right, and that's a
4: great question to bring up because this is something that we're kind of newly discussing, Mm -hmm. which is interesting at this point in in our Aboriginal health inclusion to be talking about. Mm -hmm. How do we acknowledge the Métis, especially when we have learned that they're a significant nation? Mm -hmm. Uh, However, they aren't attached to land. They're they're a landless nation. Mm -hmm. But they have a significant contribution to our Aboriginal landscape, to our ways of knowing and being. And so this has been a topic for us in Aboriginal mental wellness and in Aboriginal health. Um, How do we acknowledge the Métis contribution? Right, like
0: here in the interior in BC, I guess it would be a little bit more foreign to me. Back home, we have a different way of acknowledging the Métis people. Being from prairies in Saskatchewan, Saskatchewan is considered like a homeland for the Métis. So I know that here it's not necessarily the same, but again, I still see myself as a guest.
4: Would you be uh, comfortable sharing with us from back home how Métis acknowledgement is done?
0: I was in Saskatoon. I would say I acknowledge that we are on Treaty Six territory and homeland of the Métis.
4: Beautiful. <laughs> Thank you so much, Jade. And now, ask Brandon to introduce himself.
2: Thank you. My name is Brandon Redford. I am an Aboriginal cultural safety educator here at Interior Health. I just assumed this role on December 17th, so fairly new and excited to learn. So how I would do um, a land acknowledgement, particularly I always situate it to place because that's the practice of it. So we meet here today in Vernon. So I, I would like to acknowledge that we meet today on the lands of the Seals people and I am happy to have the space that they provide for us. Chris.
4: Thank you so much, Brandon. Thank you. And Chris.
1: Well, hello everyone. My name is Chris Macklin. I'm a proud member of the Métis Nation of BC, and I recently joined the IH uh, Aboriginal Cultural Safety Education Team in the role of Knowledge Facilitator. So I myself would like to respectfully acknowledge the traditional, ancestral, and unceded territories of the Sea Nation, on whose territory we live, learn, work, and play and on whose territory we stand. I myself am both very grateful and blessed to have been a guest on this territory for most of my life. And I believe it's really important to honor this.
4: Excellent, thank you so much.
5: I think we wanted to just come back and get everyone to do a territory acknowledgement because since releasing episode two of the podcast, we've had a lot of questions from people of Okay, we kind of get the principles, but let's hear territory acknowledgments. So I really appreciate everyone taking the time to do that and personalizing it. We want to keep it a reflective process. And it's not something that we want to have laid out word for word, because we want it to be something that you think about as who you are, where you stand, and where you're um, conducting your work or living today. So thank you guys for sharing that.
4: And thank you for supporting our Interior Health colleagues in having examples. For them to follow and how to do a land acknowledgement especially in light that we just recently released a policy around land acknowledgement and i certainly know and have had feedback from our colleagues around concerns about how to do that they don't want to get it wrong they don't want to offend anyone they're concerned about how to get their mouth around the language and so this is also uh, another opportunity for them to hear other ways of doing it and so that they can use that in the safety of their own space to hear your voices, hear uh, examples, and hopefully have that opportunity to practice and overcome their fears and being able to do this in a good way. So we are here with the cultural safety team and um, our next line of questioning is around what does cultural safety mean to you? What does cultural safety look like in practice? What are some examples of cultural safety in practice? So I know that's a pretty large question to ask of you and I think we will get um, that response from you through conversation. Do you have any more to add to that, Chris?
5: In addition to kind of what cultural safety is, I also think you guys do a good job of educating what a culturally competent organization looks like. So that's also what we want to get to is cultural safety is not defined by the providers, right? It's defined by the patients and the people experiencing that environment. So we also want to hear from you guys what you think cultural competency looks like and what do culturally competent healthcare providers look like and and what do they
4: do and actions do they take? So I know Jade probably feels picked on, but (laughs) I'm aware that she's been with the team longer. And so has had an opportunity to experience delivering the education and opportunity to be mentored by Vanessa Mitchell a little bit longer. And so uh,
0: we're going to start with you, Jade. Uh, Well, I guess it's all really personal. It all started as a personal learning slash growth piece for me, beginning from when I was a child and my mom and my dad raising us in an urban city, no family supports, and them being the first to leave their communities of their family, not the entire community. Um, And so I saw from them at a very early age, the struggle, even though as a child, you know, you don't really know the depth of the struggle. I still remember as a child, I knew they struggled, which when you come from a life of privilege you don't necessarily even know what a struggle is as a child but anyways that is what it is so my parents didn't go to university till they were well into their 30s they got married quite young had me when they were still teenagers and so they really worked hard and i think they're probably one of the most resilient people that i know but they're my parents so i'm going to say that you know they're going to hear this so <laughs> but they (laughs) taught me a lot you know like they would teach me about things you don't typically teach a seven-year-old right like Mm -hmm. racism and Mm -hmm. as a young aboriginal girl is going to be a factor in how you're treated and I as a child I started learning these things and so it was well on my radar growing up that racism was something that people experienced and it's something that I could identify really really early on in my age and so with the experience of racism comes like the internal shame you start to feel right so I kind of went through that journey in high school and then going into university you start to learn and you start to become a little bit more grounded in who you are and it's not that I really wanted to go down this path because racism isn't something that Makes me feel good. <laughs> but I think because I became so comfortable talking about it, it's just kind of how I got here talking about it. But long story short, here I am. I'm okay with having conversations about racism. It doesn't make me feel the shame that it used to. And I used to feel really angry about it. I guess at times I still get really angry about it, but it's not the same kind of anger. I used to hold a lot of anger towards other people. Like I would look at people and I would just think it must be nice to not have to live a life worrying about the kind of thing that i worry about but i don't think that way anymore because it was just too much bitterness And who wants to live bitter so then when i started working in my former position back home in saskatchewan we provided workshops and education talking about racism and cultural awareness and cultural safety and then i saw this job come up and i didn't apply for it right away because i wasn't sure if this was the job for me and i waited i think a month before i applied and got the job and i was like oh I guess you're going to have to keep I guess doing this. I go back to you yes, talking about racism. <laughs> yeah. I appreciate you speaking about the personal
4: journey. Yeah. This is something that I speak about with Vanessa Mitchell as well. Is Right now, where we are in this work, certainly from my lens, I see all of our colleagues in the Aboriginal work around this cultural competency and safety having to use their bodied experiences their bodies Mm -hmm. to bring the learnings Mm -hmm. and so that makes it personal and that's an interesting challenge to speak to to our non-indigenous colleagues Mm -hmm. especially when we're in such a professional world and there's such this discussion about teasing those two Mm -hmm. pieces apart but for us that's not teasable not in this current climate our work is so vital because my hope is and and I shared that and Vanessa shares that um, that at some point it'll get to a place where our fellow Aboriginal colleagues when they do come into this work they'll no longer have to use their bodied experiences or their family's right. bodied experiences because the work will have been done. We will have completed that piece of of achieving organization-wide or community-wide some safety and competency and understanding and bridging that, and then we can move on from that, right, of, of that awareness work that we're doing right now. So I, again, go back to that place of thank you for starting out and sharing that it's a personal piece, right? And right. it's informed from that personal experience that is is not comfortable is not safe mm-hmm. and does continue to bring up for us we're constantly back in that place of pain right as we do this work
0: yeah like those memories although you don't think about them all the time when you do they come back and you're it's like you're back in that moment again you just learn how to handle it and respond to it differently
1: personal stories and narratives are so important in the work that we do
2: What's the quote that's on your desk, Brandon. It's, it's the, the Thomas truth quote. The truth about stories is That's All We Are by Thomas
4: King. Yeah, I love that quote. I love <sighs> King. So I know that you started in May with Interior Health. Mm-hmm. And so you've been with us since May of 2018. Can you share with us a, a little of that journey? What is your role? What do you do for Interior Health?
0: I'm one of the cultural safety educators, and I provide education and learning opportunities for staff.
4: So what does that look like? (laughs) If if an Interior Health uh, uh, staff member was signing up for your course, what can they expect?
0: So we do provide two instructor-led sessions, and they are a two-part series. So for the first part, you would learn about the colonial narrative, and we would talk about some case studies that happened within the interior among staff dissect, you know, what was happening and how stereotypes are present. We do some activities around implicit bias, and then we finish off by talking about deconstructing Aboriginal-specific racism and really acknowledging that Aboriginal-specific racism is rooted in the colonial narrative. Uh, because a lot of times we get questions like, "Well, why is it Aboriginal-specific racism? Everybody experiences racism." And we acknowledge that other people experience oppression and racism and prejudice, but you know, we are in Canada. We are RNBC, there is a colonial narrative that we need to acknowledge. So that's really the foundation of our first part. And then part two, which is called Why Aboriginal Cultural Safety, the Tolerance Scale, I believe, that's where we go into a deeper discussion around the tolerance scale and how attitudes and behaviours manifest themselves and what it looks like in the healthcare system and the impacts that can have on staff, on patients, on families. And then, again, revisiting how that colonial narrative comes up in conversations and then preparing ourselves with counter-narratives. So if somebody were to make an inappropriate comment, how are you going to respond to that? Um, Is it a time to walk away? Is it a time to say, well, you know what? Um, Tell me more about that. Or, you know, I'm sorry you experienced this because we do get a lot of people saying you know I was in the situation and I heard that and I got really mad but I didn't know what to say so I just said nothing and then they often think about that moment and they think I should have done this I should have said that why didn't I do this right because you're not always prepared for certain comments or experiences so it's just a way for people to start feeling comfortable having those conversations and it's nothing crazy or complex but definitely something that requires practice. Yes, practice is definitely. That was a
4: great key. overview. <laughs> yes, thank you very much, Jade. And so I'm gonna give Brandon an opportunity to chime in on this discussion around cultural safety. And so, yeah, Brandon, can you share with us a little bit about this? The journey to cultural safety for you.
2: you no, know, my journey to cultural safety, um, as an Aboriginal person, it's hit close to home. Growing up, I grew up in a small indigenous community just outside of my reserve, um, known as the Drift Pile Cree Nation. And while I did have a lot of unique childhood experiences, such as like my family were like fishermen and that was our economy and um, had some traditional knowledge and practices which was all good. But there was also a lot of sort of just like tragedy, I guess, that I grew up and I became aware of at a young age. And following what Jade was sharing, like, you don't realize the depths of it, but you recognize like, okay, something's off. And so my family, they never went to school, but they always... Wanted me to go, so that's something that I made sure I was able to do. Um, come high school and everything, I just always knew that that Aboriginal people experience health inequity, and actually, I'm pretty proud that looking back, I'm like, oh, this kind of a smart young boy who could just recognize that. It wasn't fair and it was unjust. And it was more than just people's bad decisions or people not being, um, like, quote, like, mentally well. Like, there were reasons for that. that were outside of personal control, I guess that would be the word. Um, So... I didn't know what avenue I would work in healthcare. I, pl- um, I did a degree in human kinetics with a concentration in clinical exercise physiology, hoping to leave the doors open for medicine or physio or whatever. I just ended up cruising the, <laughs> the Interior Health website because that's what I thought was fun to do one day, just for no reason. <laughs> Not looking for work, just wanted to know what's going on in Interior Health. So I saw the job posting for Aboriginal Cultural Safety and I was reading over the description and I thought that it was so cool because um, I spent some time studying in Australia at the University of Sydney the year prior, where I took a lot of courses in Indigenous health. And so before taking this course, which which was for the record before I got this job, I would hear the term Aboriginal cultural safety and I would go, huh, that's cute. And I'll admit that, but that was a couple years ago. But then I took a course and I got taught about the power of it. and. How it includes eliminating the power bias between a, uh, a clinician and a client, and and how it involves having the patient as an active voice in their treatment, and again what that looks like, and how it actually has evidence and a research base to back it up. So that's when I re- really opened my eyes and really started wanting to explore that more. But again, I was like, well, what degree do I do? What like how do I get into this? Like what school do I have to go to? Luckily, I just I, I found the job a year later online and thought I'd apply, and I've just kind of been on a whirlwind ever since. That's my journey to Aboriginal cultural safety, unscripted. Really grateful Uh,
4: that you captured your education journey, not sure really where you were going directly, and uh, giving that example because we'll likely have listeners who are on that same path as you, taking diverse kind of education that aligns with health. And what do I do with that education? And that's coupled with, I don't know if you know, that Interior Health through Human Resources has a goal to achieve increasing our Aboriginal employment um, to uh, representation to 10%.
2: So, yeah, like, what I would speak to that, and my advice to that would be, most people who are doing a health science degree and, and those kind of health related degrees aren't going to be on the Interior Health website for fun like I was. So I would say go to those undergraduate programs uh, programs like a BA in psych or a human kinetics degree that aren't job specific and just make yourself known in those majors that aren't really rec- recognized Jobs like this, because usually everybody goes to more of a master's level or a nursing degree, and that's awesome. But there there's real talent out there in um, other degrees that are related to health. Thank you. That
5: was excellent. And I also think both Jade and Brandon, you spoke to almost different components of cultural safety in how you got there. So Jade, you spoke about racism and how your experiences in handling that from a young age have led you to be able to talk about it. And then Brandon, yeah. having I think your experience and your education in what that looks like in a health care setting, I think really speaks to your roles now and how you um, are able to share that in what you do.
4: And now let's pull Chris macker into this <laughs> conversation. Sure. Chris, if you could share with us your journey to a uh, cultural safety facilitator.
1: Sure. Um, well, I do self-identify as Métis and it's only been in the last decade or so that I've Really been reconnecting with my indigenous roots. I'm still on that journey of learning what it means to be Metis and how my Metis culture impacts my life and my worldview. You know, I often find myself walking in two worlds, the indigenous world and the Western or non-Indigenous world. But I recently completed my Master of Public Health at Simon Fraser, and my background for the past six or so years has been in Aboriginal health, specifically research within the areas of HIV and hepatitis C. I also have a bit of a background in program planning and program evaluation, but I've always been passionate about promoting cultural safety within all the work that I do. Um, you know, in terms of my core values, I, I strongly believe that culture is medicine, and that land is medicine, and people are medicine. You know, we are medicine for each other. Um, And this is why I engage in the work that I do. Uh, Culture and health are so often intertwined for Indigenous peoples, and integrating cultural safety within all health services is just so incredibly important for reducing many of the health inequities that Indigenous peoples experience. So this is one of my true passions in life. And as I said, I've been a champion for promoting cultural safety for quite some time now. And finally, I also strongly believe that any activities involving health programs or research with indigenous peoples must be done in a good way. That means that they're sacred endeavors and they're grounded in ceremony and traditional wisdom. And they lead not only to the support of community, but also the creation of healing. In terms of my role of knowledge facilitator, I recently took on this role uh, with the IH Aboriginal Health Team. Uh, And in this role, I'm responsible for curriculum and material development, as well as some physician engagement and leading in the strategic and evaluative and long-term planning of IH's uh, journey to Aboriginal cultural safety program. So in this role, I really pride myself on being approachable. And I'm just so excited to be a cultural safety resource for all IH staff. And with that said, I welcome any and all questions related to the promotion of cultural safety in practice, as well as within uh, health programming and policy. So we were talking about cultural competency earlier, uh, which is more of a process. I view cultural safety as an outcome. And it occurs when Indigenous peoples who are receiving services within the health system feel genuinely safe by virtue of the culturally competent and culturally humble care that their providers are giving to them. So cultural safety occurs when the health system is free of racism and prejudice. Uh, It's free of stereotyping and when power imbalances between clients and providers are meaningfully addressed. You know other key elements of cultural safety are uh, being self-reflexive and aware of factors related to historical and ongoing colonization and other social and political contexts, and how these really shape the health and wellness and healing journeys of Indigenous peoples. And finally, all of these considerations are meaningfully integrated into our practice and our policies and our structures and our systems. So that's, that's cultural safety in a nutshell for me.
4: Excellent. This leads me to thinking that I would like to learn from the cultural safety educators what cultural safety means to them. So, Jade, (laughs) would you uh, be up for sharing with us uh, what cultural safety means to you?
0: Within healthcare, cultural safety really is dependent on the patient's perception of whether or not they felt safe and respected in those moments of care. And so I would agree with Chris in that it is much more of an outcome rather than a process. However, it does require a process to get there. And so that is where the skills component would come in. So building your cultural competency and just having the ability to shift behavior when necessary or shift perceptions and use a different lens when required, right? Because... It is possible to treat people with respect even if they all come from different backgrounds. Right without knowing their language or knowing their cultural practices, you can still treat people with dignity. And I think that's really what it comes down to is not taking away a person's dignity in any moment that they're receiving care.
4: Absolutely. Thank you. Dignity is a big piece across all kinds of areas and mm-hmm. you're right, we can we can treat people well, regardless of where they come from, what they know, who they are, Mm -hmm. we can do that. Thank you very much for that. It was making me think, as earlier I was talking with Chris about, and again, going back to this kind of personal work that we do, that we all have personal stories or stories from our family or our friends that have had poor experiences with health services. And I had been sharing with Chris, uh, one that still continues to stand out for me. Uh, When I moved to Kelowna in 2003, um, my first doctor that I was able to access uh, it, during our uh, our first meeting together, he noticed the tattoo on my wrist, and I have uh, a Shimshian, uh frog on my wrist, and and so he asked me about it, and then so I shared, and then he asked, "Oh, so are you Aboriginal?" And I said, "Yeah, I do identify as Aboriginal." And he said, "Oh, you must only come out when you're drunk."
3: <laughs>
4: so an example of these kinds of uh, wow, prevailing. and and thank you for the shock, but I think we also can think of family members and friends, right? Yeah. Had those kinds of experiences. So it's so important, the work that you guys do for our organization in supporting our colleagues to overcome their fears, uh, their myths, and their stigma, and recognize that every person does matter and that we can treat people well, regardless of, of where they come from. And so further to that, continue on. Cultural safety and health services mean to you, Brennan?
2: I guess cultural safety uh, to me with respect to health services would mean that the values and the presence of Aboriginal people that are from that area are taken into serious consideration when designing new policies or even building the buildings and also to treating the perspectives and unique needs of Aboriginal people with reverence and not just check a box to say okay we've We've, uh, an example would be like, oh, asking the opinion of a painting that you want to hang up by your, you know by the Aboriginal community. To me, that's not quite what we're aiming for. It'd be more like, okay, well, bring some community members in from the ground zero, get their perspective, and keep them engaged, and ask what they want up until completion of said project. I believe that's more having that meaningful participation, which is. I think a big chunk of cultural safety and to further do that you can always I think that being self-aware and how your own biases and your own culture and assumptions on Aboriginal people to also not treat that as a checkbox like oh yeah I'm self-aware it's like you can always be more self-aware you know you can always be more uh, accommodating to the unique needs of Aboriginal people because we're a complex group of people just like it, just like any other group yeah but right now we're focused on the Aboriginal people so And they are the First Peoples, so why not take care of our First Peoples, right?
5: So I think for the podcast aspect, so we have maybe Interior Health staff listening who may be able to have access to the training that you guys have talked about. But for people who might not work for Interior Health, what are some resources that you guys would suggest if you want to learn more about cultural safety, you want to learn more about Indigenous peoples in healthcare or cultural awareness? Um, Is there any tools or resources that that you would recommend for learning more? If someone just heard this and thought, I want to learn more about cultural safety and what cultural competency means, is there anything
1: you'd recommend? I think it's just educating yourself on how to be an ally, you know, on like how the impacts of colonization have shaped and continue to shape the health status of Indigenous peoples in Canada.
2: Just to add to that, I do think that so much of the focus goes on like an academic resource, but there are fun resources out there that you can, View to learn about indigenous culture today because I think people don't acknowledge that there is actually an indigenous culture around art, humor, drama um, that exists, and so delve into that. Like um, some artists that I really like are Kent Monkman, he's really good, he's a two spirit Cree artist um, based out of I think, but yeah, so there's other resources beyond just reading a book that you can use to educate yourself and become aware. And yeah,
0: so for me, if uh, I guess I'll come at this two different ways. So, I think it's important that people have a foundation of what's out there in the literature, especially in healthcare, because a lot of the people that we educate, they want to know, well, what's the number of this or what's the ratio of that and how do we know that this is happening so many times, et cetera, et cetera. So we always recommend that people read certain literature, and so we've recommended people to read the First Class, Second Class Care, which was a publication um, from the Wellesley Institute in 2015. Um, That's a really good resource that really speaks to the racism in healthcare. And then also within the interior, there's the Transformative Change Accord Report. Um, And then also learning about what the commitment is to cultural safety from an organizational perspective. We recommend people visit the First Nations Health Authority website, they have some good resources on cultural safety. Uh, There's also the PHSA website, Um, but then also learning about how equity and healthcare through some of the resources that are out. There's a lot of books as well. One of the books that we recommend is um, Medicine Unbundled. And then there's a whole bunch of resources that people can can access out there. Um and they're they're free, right? And so there really isn't a shortage of what people can do to learn if they really, really want to. One of the things that we always share in our training is this letter to Sir Wilfred Laurier, and so it's was well, a letter that was written by three chiefs in nineteen ten. And it's just a good letter to read. Um but it it's it's a reminder or it's, it provides good insight into the context at that time, right? And what the chiefs um were concerned about, the types of things that they were They were sharing too, and a lot of it is kind of similar to the same things that we're witnessing today. And so it just goes to show that back then, even a hundred and some years ago, these concerns were being brought up, right? They didn't just happen in the last 20 years, like they've been constantly our communities have been trying to address these inequities for a very 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 long time right and so I think that just shows like the resiliency of Aboriginal people but then I also want to speak a little bit to the personal aspect of things I think if people really want to learn about cultural safety they need to start seeing themselves as a cultural being so really having a deep self-awareness of what your cultural biases are what your cultural opinions and values are and being able to situate yourself in places because if you can't do that for yourself, you're going to be operating blindly and you're going to hit a bunch of lines both, Right. It's a really good point to bring up that work that we need to do internally
4: mm-hmm. for ourselves to, to ask ourselves the questions. Why do we think like this? Well, how did I come to know
0: what I know? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. For sure. Because a lot of what we do and who we are as people, it comes from a place, right? And a lot of it is cultural. And I know a lot of people consider cultural like ethnic culture, but culture is so much more than what your ethnic background and nationality is. It's just so, it's basically like who we are as people.
1: Wow, that's, um, as I said, I think the the education piece is is just so important, you know. getting to understand how we got to where we are today you know there are some really foundational and and quite reader friendly articles out there really succinctly and concisely summarize processes related to colonization especially within canada some of the ones i'm thinking about are indigenous health part one and indigenous health part two by malcolm king and his team Um, there's also several really good articles written by Charlotte Loppy, that really explain the Indigenous determinants of health um, and their outcomes in Canada. Again, the one that uh, was already mentioned by Janet Smiley, first-class peoples, second-class care, really details uh, Indigenous peoples' experiences in the healthcare system and, you know, how we really have to have a long way to go in terms of closing that gap. So there's there's lots of resources out there, but as I said it, um, before, it's, it's not just about reading, it's also about action and getting out there. There and meaningfully engaging with indigenous peoples and forming those strong relationships. And Do
5: you want to? recognize that, that we, we want to continue this conversation and I'm sure we'll have plenty of conversations to, to come um, but thank you all for sharing what you have today and how you've come to the positions in interior health and also your personal journeys to cultural safety in your lives and in your work and in your families all of the resources that you that you noted academic um, or not we'll, we'll post um, for access to listeners who want to uh, maybe dive in but I think one of the key messages that, that I heard definitely was it doesn't really matter where you start, but as long as you start. So I think there's endless opportunities and it doesn't have to be as direct as reaching out to a a community and and doing that. I think it could be going to your local museum, art center, plays, movies, and just really understanding Indigenous culture and how your culture um, has interacted.
3: Thank you for listening to episode six of Interior Voices. Visit our website at interiorhealth.ca slash interiorvoices for links to additional information about cultural safety. Please join us again on April 2nd for Episode 7 when we continue our cultural safety discussion with Vanessa Mitchell. If you have questions or comments about today's podcast, you can email us at interiorvoices at interiorhealth.ca We'd love to hear from you. And don't forget... Interior Voices is now available on iTunes.
2: So, I printed answers to the questions, and I've lost my
5: answers. Well, then you just have to speak from the heart. Oh my God! Oh, oh. purely oh, organic. Oh, that's a deep, dark abyss. <laughs> <sleep>. no,
2: <laughs> okay, it's probably maybe maybe it's a good thing I lost them. Because exactly. Of the yeah. I, you know, exactly. Yeah.